0: Well, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 tells us then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons. Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And then, I will bless them. Father, as we enter into just this passage of Scripture tonight, would you bless us, Lord? I don't pray that selfishly. I don't pray as one standing on a street corner saying, God, give me vast blessings that I so richly deserve. No, Father, we don't deserve anything that you give us. But we recognize that you love to give anyway recognize that all blessing comes from you and so we just we want to experience you and I pray that these few verses that we just read would bring such a blessing tonight that we would all walk out of here just incredibly encouraged and lifted up and excited about the things that we've heard So I pray before Father so as to go out and share these things and speak these words be with this group of priests tonight Father continue our training, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27, stands out as one of the great passages of Scripture. You've probably heard it read before, probably heard it given, maybe in a different church as a benediction, maybe at some kind of religious function you've heard it read as a, as a special prayer, and it's so special because it absolutely and clearly expresses to us the favor of God God's heart for us what he really desires for us what he really wants for his children we read it in these few verses and it's important to see right here in the book of Numbers especially somewhat toward the beginning because as the book carries on we've talked about this the children are going into the wilderness and they are going to mess up and they are going to mess up over and over and over and at times we are going to see God very angry with his children I understand that At times we're going to see the father not happy with what's going on. But you need to know and understand and always be assured of this fact that God loves to bless his children. That this is at the very heart of God to bless. Now, there's more than one blessing here tonight. In fact, there's a double blessing and I don't want you to miss it. Aaron and his sons, the priests of Israel, pastors of this great congregation... Are given a great commission God says to Aaron and his sons you shall bless you shall bless unfortunately it's not always what people get from church leaders is it maybe you've been in a situation where you have not been blessed but you've been blasted maybe instead of a blessing you have felt cursed or run over or bummed out By someone who is supposed to represent God Someone who is supposed to bring the grace of God Someone who is supposed to teach God And you walk out possibly of a church In a previous experience Wondering is this God? Is this what God is supposed to be If this is what God is like I've actually heard people say I don't want it If this is God Judgmental, condemning I don't need that I can get that at work I can get that at home. I don't need that. Is this God? Too often people hear from pastors or preachers, church leaders, they hear judgment. They hear control. They hear arrogance. They get the guilt. And the commission that God gave his leaders becomes condemnation instead. My friend, this does not speak to the heart of the Father. This is not what God wants us to know of Him. This does not represent well. Moses becomes, surprisingly, at a critical moment in his life, one of those leaders. Who instead of blessing the people, as God intends, he blasts the people. If you flip over real quick, and we're going to come back to this story later on in our study of Numbers. Not tonight, but in a few weeks. Numbers chapter 20, but skip over there just real quickly. Something to see that happened to Moses, and it was a life-altering, a career-altering event for him. In fact, it would change the path that Moses would walk through the rest of his life. This moment. Numbers chapter 20, long about verse 8. The people are thirsty. They're contentious. They will be contentious over and over again, as I said, in the wilderness. And God tells Moses what to do for the people. Look at verse 8. Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. And this is so rich. It's so full of of pictures here. Speak to the rock, he says, before their eyes that it may yield its water. In the same way, just as a side note, I think the Lord would say, Speak to the rock, to us, that it may yield its water. Speak to Jesus, that he may yield his spirit. Speak to Jesus in front of the people. In front of your family, in front of your friends, speak to Jesus that he may yield his spirit and bring refreshing and bring living water to those around you. But in this case, God is just saying, hey, the people are thirsty. Moses, go up to the rock and tell it to yield water. That's all God wanted Moses to do. But instead, look what Moses does. Verse 10 Because Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Rebels, misfits, malcontents, jerks. Shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? You don't deserve it. Now I'm adding a little bit. He's calling them rebels. You think we should give you water from the rock? You rebels. And then, wham, bam, he strikes the rock twice with his rod. And God didn't ask him to. The Lord said speak to the rock And the water will flow Moses is tired Moses is angry Moses is probably a little upset Earlier in the same chapter Miriam dies She passes away So that may be weighing on him But at this point Instead of just speaking to the rock Moses strikes the rock In his frustration And does something reprehensible To the Lord Now God in his grace Causes the water to flow anyway But look at what he says to Moses in verse 12, this life-changing moment. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. That's it, Moses. You've just run out. You're not going in. Moses will not go into the Promised Land, at least not until the Transfiguration of Jesus, where we see Moses in the in the Promised Land. God gets him there much later on. But Moses is not going to lead the people into the Promised Land. Why? Because Moses misrepresented the Lord. He misrepresented God. This wasn't just a faith issue. You may see this in your in your verses, at verse twelve in your Bibles, because you have not believed me. Because you haven't believed me, Moses, you're not going in. But the word believe there, interesting word in the Hebrew, it's aman, and it literally means to be true to. Moses, you were not true to me. Because you have not been true to me, you're not going into the promised land. You misrepresented me before the people. I wanted to give the people some grace. This was a moment, God would say, in His wisdom, in my wisdom, I wanted the people just to hear that I am responding to their cries, to their need. But you turned it into a lesson, Moses. You turned it into punishment, and that's not what I wanted for my people. You misrepresented me. Moses... Your job is not to blast the people. Your job is to bless the people. Now you may say, well, wait a minute, Rick. I've seen God blast the people before. I mean, literally. He blasted uh, Aaron's two sons right out of the tabernacle, blew them away. We've seen God get angry with the people. Why is he now telling Moses not to do the same thing? Gang, anger in God's hands is his prerogative. This is right. God wants to get angry. So be it. But I'll tell you something, when it comes to holy anger, righteous anger, God knows when it's appropriate and when it's not. When we need it and when we don't. So the anger issue, man, that is his prerogative and not man's. Now, go back to Numbers chapter 6. The reason I want to pause here tonight in this little chapter is to show you a richness. That God says, I want you to be about blessing. Blessing. I want you to be those who bless, not those who blast, those who will bring a blessing of the Lord. This is incredibly important for those of you especially who would desire to be true bondservants of God, those who would lead by serving. By the way, a little side note, those of you who show up here on Wednesday nights, you may not realize it, but God is preparing you to lead. Those who would be in the Word more, those who would take an extra step, God saying, You have the interest in my word, I am preparing you for something great, for something more. Well, so you have the choice. As a Christian, you could show up on the Sunday morning only, or you could show up even rarely, occasionally, believing in Jesus. And I, for one, believe because of the vast grace of God, you'll be saved. But if you want more of the Lord, we've talked about this a lot recently, you huddle close to the tabernacle, you spend the time, you get into his word. And I believe God has something especially good for the group that keeps showing up here every week, week in, week out, rain or shine. I think God wants to doubly bless you. Well, look at the passage again. Look in verse 23. It says, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. So this is how I want you to do it. You shall say to them, I'm going to read it one more time, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Now, who is it that actually gives the blessing? This is going to be an obvious. No. It's the Lord. <laughs> you fell for my trick, David. We think, oh, okay, yeah, the priests are giving the blessing. No, they're not. They are passing on the blessing. It's coming from the Lord. But notice something here. In those three verses, how many times is the phrase the Lord used? Three times times God's name is invoked in this blessing. God's name is invoked. By the way, and you should know this by now, if you don't take note of this, every time you see in the New American Standard Bible and the King James and, and various other good translations, every time you see Lord in the Old Testament capitalized, or like in little small caps, that's not just the word Lord, that's Yahweh. It's the Tetragrammaton, the YHWH, the name of God, Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, where God said to Moses, I am that I am. Every time you see Lord, this is not just a phrase, this is His name. And so in this blessing, His name is spoken three times. His name is invoked. The name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, however it's pronounced. Why, why, by the way, do we have two pronunciations there? Because no one's really sure what the pronunciation was. In the original Hebrew language, there were no vowels. It was all consonants, which would be a whole lot of fun when you're playing Scrabble, but not so much fun when you're trying to figure out how to say it, you know, out loud. Y-H-W-H in the Hebrew Yahweh, Jehovah, it's the name of God And that name is spoken here three times And I believe we're seeing an indication of the Trinity The doctrine of the Trinity That difficult to understand yet crucial expression of the person of God God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit God is one But God is also three in one That famous verse, Deuteronomy 6.4, where Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. The word God, you may have heard this, the word God here is the same as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's Elohim. But Elohim, my friends, is the plural form of the word God. So literally it should say, the Lord our God, the Lord's is one. Plural. Elohim. More than one is one. This freaks out the rabbis. This is one verse in the Old Testament they really don't like because the whole Trinity aspect of God is difficult for a Jewish person who is saying, No, I'm a monotheist. Monotheistic, one God. Hey, I'd say the same thing. I am monotheistic, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God. Three aspects of the same God. And even for us as Christians, we kind of go, Huh? That's hard to understand. I don't know, maybe not so hard. We have a mind, a soul, and a body. You're a trinity walking around. In fact, we see aspects of the trinity all throughout creation. It's fascinating. We see it with water. Boil it, it turns into steam. Freeze it, it turns into ice. Three aspects of it. You can look all around and see the trinity everywhere. It shouldn't be too surprising. But Elohim, our plural God, is One. And so here in number 6, again, we see this name invoked three times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. And what's wonderful about this is not only do we see the Lord mentioned three times here, but three aspects of God are clearly presented here. You see the Trinity in the blessing beyond the number 3. Listen to this. So you want to drop this down, if you're taking notes, number 1, we see here the Father as giver. The Father as giver. Verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The word bless here, by the way, speaks of material benefit. Now we tend to use the word bless kind of in more of a Christianese spiritual sense. We'll be walking out the door on a Sunday and say, Hey, God bless. God bless. Or if someone sneezes, God bless you. But besides spiritual and sneezing, we don't think about the fact that when God says He wants to bless us, He means it Physically. Materially, God does want you to have good things in life. Is that hard to swallow or accept? We talk a lot in Christianity about humility before the Lord. We want to avoid the whole idea of the prosperity gospel, getting too into, getting stuff, and yet the Father is a giver. The Father's a giver. He wants to bless. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Jesus is speaking and he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Now you may say, well, wait a minute, Rick. Doesn't he go on to say that that's talking about the Holy Spirit? No. That's in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus says the same thing. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I think he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke adds, what he shares. But in Matthew, he doesn't do that. Jesus stops right there. Well, it's just two guys' position or opinion of, of the same event, right? Not necessarily. Something I want you to consider in the way that Jesus taught... Remember for three years he moved around He taught different groups of people It was very likely In fact more than likely I believe that Jesus would teach one group of people A certain teaching And then he'd be somewhere else And he'd teach the same teaching again I would I would If I was traveling around the country And speaking in different places I'd teach the same thing To different groups of people because there are critical things Jesus wanted to teach. I think, personal opinion here, just Rick's opinion, you can disagree with me, but I think Matthew 7.11 and Luke 11.13 are two different teachings. Matthew 7.11, he's saying God wants to bless you. You know how to give good gifts to your kid. God knows how much to get, how much more does the Lord know how to give good gifts to you, to take care of you, material things. And at another time, Jesus says, using the same example that he knows how to give good gifts, he says, and he will give his spirit to those who ask. I think it's both. God wants to bless you spiritually and God wants to bless you materially. But let's get some other verses to back this up. The Father is a giver. Psalm 84 verse 4 How blessed are those who dwell in your house They are ever praising you The Lord gives grace and glory No good thing does he withhold From those who walk upright, uprightly No good thing He doesn't withhold He wants to give David says in Psalm 84 verse oh Lord of hosts How blessed is the man who trusts in you God will say over and over Don't worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat Don't worry about these things God knows you need them He's going to take care of you. Look at the lilies. See how they grow. Look at how they're adorned. Look at the the birds, how they're continually fed. God knows how to care for you. And He will care much more for you than birds and flowers. Over and over, God tells us He is a giver. James 1.17, James says, Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Gang, listen, it is not in the nature of God to impoverish. That's not what God wants for you. Poverty and impoverishment is the work of the sinful nature of man. That's not what God planned in the garden. Adam was a wealthy man. Oh, he didn't have a bank account. He just had everything he could possibly want or need at his fingertips. He could walk through the garden in absolute paradise. What people work all year long for to go for two weeks over to Cabo or wherever and experience what they call paradise, not even close. Adam had it. Perfect paradise until sin entered the world, and with sin, hard work, and poverty, and struggle, and difficulty. This is not the heart of God. The nature of our Father is to give. He wants to bless you. And so, we're given right here, the very first thing, the Lord bless you. He also says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Verse 24 is important. We need the keeping of the Father so the blessing of the Father doesn't distract us from the person of the Father let say that again. We need the keeping of the Father so that the blessing of the Father doesn't distract us from the person of the Father. Just today, I don't know if you saw it on the news, but the eight winners of the, uh, what's it called, the Powerball Lottery Prize in Nebraska... The biggest lottery prize in American history, I guess. Eight people went in on it. Sent a little guy off on a you know work break to go and buy this lotto ticket. And they won, after taxes, $122 million. After taxes. Divided by eight. Still not bad. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. Those people need keeping incredible blessing but if you've or your tracks, anybody who has instantaneous wealth it messes up their lives royally as much as I think oh how wonderful would it be to have 122 million bucks or even one eighth of that I'll take it that'd be great man I could tuck away for the kids school I could pay off the house we could build a bigger barn we could have all kinds of fun with it and yet the moment that kind of instantaneous wealth hits 99 times out of 100 it blows the person away because not only do we need to be blessed we need to be kept by the Lord That's how He works it. He wants to bless, but He also wants to keep us. Which, by the way, may be the reason why some of us aren't more blessed. Because God is keeping us. Because He knows too much blessing for some of us. Too much blessing is not a healthy thing. I've been amazed at how the Lord continues to provide for me and my family. But He tends to not provide more than we need. I've got a lot of wants hanging out there that don't get provided for And yet, we never miss what needs to be taken care of. We are incredibly blessed, but kept. But kept. Now I have to be careful even saying that because someone, you know, even looking from the outside could say about any of us how rich we are. Look at the world that we live in. We get to live up here where people vacation. Up in the northwest corner of the northwest where there truly is a rain shadow. You wouldn't know it tonight, but most of the time people don't realize that and they came up here to vacation we get to live here we're blessed but God keeps us so if you're looking at your checkbook and you're one day away from your your next pay period and you're about two weeks behind on your checkbook just understand God's going to bless you He's also going to keep you The Lord bless you and keep you. It's the heart of the Father. The Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, which is the rabbinical commentary on the Old Testament, says the following, Why do we ask God first to bless us, then to keep us? It's because if God gives us material blessing, we need to be protected from the evil results such prosperity may bring. Bless us, Lord, but keep us, Father. That's the heart of the Father. Verse 25 Shows us a picture now of the sun. The sun. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. Make His face shine on you. But we already know from Exodus 32.20 or 33.20 God said you cannot see my face. For no one no man can see my face and live. And yet here he says, Oh, by the way, priests, tell the people, the Lord make his face shine on you. Why are you saying that, Lord? You want the people to be killed? They can't look at you and live. That's what you told us. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.15. The only the blessed and only sovereign. The king of kings and lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. You read verses like that you say, well, Lord, how can we say the Lord make his face to shine on you? How can we offer that kind of a blessing? The very idea here, gang, is there is a way in which man may see the face of God. And it's in the sun. The Father is a giver, but number two, the Son is revealer. The Son is the revealer. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul said, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in, listen to this, the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do we find that, Paul? In the face of Christ. Philip was sitting there with Jesus on that Thursday night, John chapter fourteen verse eight. He said to him, "Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Just show us the Father, and that'll be perfect. That'll satisfy us." And Jesus said, "Philip, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. But gang listen, Jesus, the revealer, the Son, who is the revealer." doesn't only reveal the face of God he reveals the grace of God the grace of God it's interesting the very first public reaction to Jesus he entered the synagogue in Nazareth and he began to read from the scroll of Isaiah and he rolled up the scroll you may remember this this is in Luke chapter 4 and he sets aside the scroll and he says today this passage that I've just read to you it's fulfilled in me Now, you may know the story, eventually the people get really upset and they freak out and they try and drive them off the side of the mountain, Mount Precipice, which is right there on the corner of Nazareth. It's interesting, and if you go to Israel with us in a year, Nazareth is is up on a hill, literally up on a hillside, and right next to to it, the hillside drops off pretty substantially, it's called Mount Precipice. And that's where the people tried to drive Jesus off, tried to push him down the cliff. But listen, before that, they said something else. Before they started to get riled up, Luke 4.22 tells us that all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And over and over in Jesus' teaching, the people are amazed by it. They listen to his words. They hang on every word. It's as if no one has taught them like him. They listen to Him and they say, He teaches not like our rabbis and our scribes and our Pharisees. This one teaches with authority. For you see, Jesus not only shows us the face of God, He shows us the grace of God. We just talked about this on Sunday. John chapter 8, The woman caught in adultery. And Jesus shows amazing grace. And the woman is you. And the woman is me. And we experience, we have that same grace from Jesus who absorbs our curse. He took the curse of our sin into Himself. We are the woman. I it was funny. This week I got an email. I won't tell you from who. Okay, it was Tom. But he said... <clears throat> He said in the email, he had sent me a couple of things, and and Tom oftentimes will send me songs that he'll hear on the radio, and he'll he'll find it, and he'll shoot it out to me and say, Hey, what about this one, or what do you think of this one? A lot of the new songs we get are because I've got people like Tom who are saying, What about this? And so he sends it on, and it was really funny, because in this email, you'll probably never send me another email again. But he wrote, Why do you put up with me? And I just, I laughed out loud in my office, I laughed. Tom, why do I put up with you? And my immediate thought It was almost as if God spoke right there Why do I put up with any of you? <laughs> why does God put up with me? Why, why? I can be such a jerk Ask Cheryl sometime when I'm not around I can just really go off I can miss it completely I can do stupid things I promise you If you stay at the bridge more than 2-3 years Eventually I'm going to offend you I'm good at it. Why would you put up with me? But the Lord does, doesn't He? He is a gracious God. And the Son reveals that grace to us, both His face and His grace. Turning your Bibles quickly over to John chapter 1. A few verses here that you cannot hear too many times. John chapter 1 and verse 14. It tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John writes, And we saw, we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. John says, We saw the glory of God. We saw the face of God in Jesus, full of grace and truth. Speak out keep on in verse 16. It says, For of His fullness, we have all received And grace upon grace Just as if John's writing this And one grace wasn't enough Now when I think about the grace of Jesus I have to keep saying it Grace and grace I wonder if in the first copy As John was writing this He just wrote From his fullness We have all received grace Upon grace Upon grace Upon grace Upon grace Upon grace Upon grace The whole rest of the book Could have just said that And he would have nailed it We have received grace upon grace. The law, verse 17, was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized. Realized through Jesus Christ. Oh, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has exegeomide Him. It's the Greek word exegeomide, where we get our word exegesis, which means to, to pick apart and understand a passage. That's what Jesus does. He brings God and gives us understanding of Him that we would not have otherwise. He explained Him. He reveals God, Jesus, the revealer. The revealer of both God's face and His grace. And so that's why, back in Numbers 6.25, the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. Oh, God the Giver, the Lord bless you and keep you. God the Son who makes His face shine on you and is gracious to you. And finally, verse 26, God the Spirit, watch this, the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. The Lord lift His countenance on you and give you peace. What is an uplifted countenance? Well, countenance speaks of a face. An uplifted face gain is a smile. It's a smile. The Bible talks about a downcast face. That would be a frown. That would be someone depressed and upset, frustrated. But an uplifted face, an uplifted countenance... It's a smile. This could just as easily read, The Lord make His face to smile on you. The Lord smile at you. Wouldn't that be great if we woke up every morning and realized that the face that greeted us was the smile of God. He's just standing there looking at you. I just love you. You're just so cool. You're such a wreck, but I love you. You know, we got that little... little, uh, Crossword or cross stitch thing at home that I've mentioned before that someone gave to Cheryl and I that that says the Lord's watching you he can't keep his eyes off you he's just smiling the Lord smiles at you that's part of this blessing the Lord lift up his countenance smile and give you peace when you're down and you're dour and you're sour and dark the Lord is smiling on you He's smiling. It's really hard to be angry. It's hard to have a frown on your face when someone's just smiling at you. It is there? You can't even do it right now. See? You have to smile back. To smile. You know, but that's, that's the point. That's the point. Don't miss the seriousness of this smile. God is saying, I can lift you up. That's what my spirit is for. Life's going to be hard. You're going to be challenged with things you can't even imagine. Even in this moment, there's stuff coming down the road. Thank the Lord He hasn't given us foresight. Thank the Lord we can't see the future because we don't want to see what's coming. And yet He is still smiling. His countenance is uplifted as He looks at you and that smile as He smiles on you brings you and me peace. Psalm 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And who does that? Who is it that helps me day in, day out, moment by moment in my times of needs? Who is it who gives me peace? Now the Father is a giver, the Son is the revealer, but the Spirit is the comforter. The comforter. He's the Comforter, the one who brings the smiling countenance of the Lord, who gives you peace. Let me just read this to you. I'm going to read it from the King James Translation, John 14, verses 16 and 17, and 26 and 27. Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. He'll bring all things to your remembrance. And whatsoever I have said unto you. But listen, I love this. Jesus gives this picture of the Holy Spirit, promises the Comforter will be there, and then he concludes with these words. He says, Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How is Jesus able to say, I'm leaving peace with you? Because he's leaving his spirit with us. That's where the peace comes from. Man, you can say all you want to someone, again, as you're walking out the door, Hey, peace. Peace, dude. Take it easy. Peace. And it's an empty, vapid phrase. It means nothing. Take it easy. When Jesus says, Peace. I'm giving you my peace. When Jesus says, Linda, my peace I leave with you. This is not a word. This is His Spirit. And because His Spirit resides in us, we walk with a peace we can't get anywhere else. Why is it again that a Christian can walk through the world and no matter how hard things get, still get up in the morning, still praise the Lord, and still worship, still pray, because we have the peace that is the Holy Spirit, our Comforter. The Lord lift up His countenance, His smile upon you and give you peace. And in these three expressions of the Lord, we see God the Father, we see God the Son, and we see God the Spirit. Giver, revealer, comforter, the triune nature of God expressed in this wonderful blessing. And gain in every area of my life, I am blessed As his child. As the Lord gives and provides for me. As Jesus reveals God to me. And as the Spirit comforts me in all things. Verse 27. And so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And I then will bless them. Last thing here. And this is probably the most important for you tonight. I began by saying there's a double blessing involved here. And you may be a bit confused by that because we just looked at three. A triple blessing, really. Giver, revealer, comforter. But gang, there's a double blessing. There's the blessing over all that's given. What's the other blessing? It's the blessing of being the one who passes the blessing on. There are many in Israel who would receive this blessing. Part of the congregation. And they would hear the priests as they proclaimed it, as they shared it, as they modeled it. And they could sit there and receive the blessing of the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maybe they didn't understand the Trinity, but they received this triune blessing. And it was wonderful for them. But how about the priest, who not only got to hear the blessing himself, but got to bring the blessing as well. Don't blast the people. Bless the people. Again, this is not a prayer, by the way, that the priest would offer. It's not a prayer. I I was going to say earlier, and it's interesting, this blessing seems to be to the Old Testament what the Lord's Prayer is to the New Testament, except for one problem. This is not a prayer. God's not saying, pray this in hopes that it comes true. See, a prayer can be answered yes, And a prayer can be answered no. A prayer can be answered not yet. This is not a yes, no, or a not yet. This is a pronouncement of blessing, listen, as a done deal. A done deal. This is a guarantee. This is not something you have to wonder if it's going to happen. When the priest would stand up before Israel and say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. The people could know, this is my blessing. They could walk home with it, as I want you to do tonight. Take the blessing with you because it is a done deal. But like I said as we began, who is the blessing from? It's from the Lord. But who gives the blessing? Who gets to pass it on? The priest. The priest, in my mind, gets the double blessing. Not only does he hear the blessing, he gives the blessing. He passes it on. Gang, that's the double blessing. And we keep going here to this priestly place, especially in our midweek studies. We keep going here. The priests who camp out by the tabernacle. The priests who get to bring the blessing. The priests who get a double measure. Who have everything given to them by the Lord to give to the people. They're the funnel of blessing. They get that experience. It's wonderful. Why do we keep going there? Because gang, it's my hope. That you as persistent and consistent students of the word will ultimately embrace your calling. What's that? To be priests. To be the priests who bring the blessing. That's what God's called us all to. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And by embracing the calling of being the priest, we get to give the blessing. We will be among those who bring the blessing to the people of God. Now let me say one last thing. It is hard to bring the blessing. It's hard. Because everything human in you will want to rail against the blessing, especially when you're supposed to bring it to someone that you know does not deserve it. The people did not deserve the water from the rock. Moses knew that. They were complaining yet again after all that God had done, Moses knew they didn't deserve this. And so Moses looked at the people and said, You're giving them water, Lord? Alright, alright. But I'm going to have to teach them a lesson. Whack, whack. You guys don't deserve this, but here you go. Which completely undermined what the blessing was. Not only did God want the people to get the water, God wanted the people to feel His grace. To experience His love. To realize in that moment that even though they were complaining, He still loved them more than their complaints and provided for them. Moses missed it. It is hard to give blessing. Listen, It is contraindicated by our culture and by our very nature. Naturally, we want to take care of ourselves. Naturally, if someone crosses me or wrongs me, I do not want to bring the blessing. But God says, You want to be one of my priests? Then you look around this fellowship and you find the one person who bugs you the most... You look around in your life and you find that one person who you have to deal with and they're contentious and they always complain and God says, and bring them the blessing. He's so on them, the blessing. And everything in my nature says, no, I don't want to. But God knows something I don't know. On the other side of that blessing, I get doubly blessed. Because I am more like Him. And that's the deal. That's what God wants. He is training us not to go our own way, but to go His way. And so may we be people who bring blessing, even in the face of contention, even in the face of a curse. Let's be those, the priests, who get to bring the blessing. Amen? God is good. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve a single blessing you've given us and yet you keep giving. We don't deserve the water from the rock and yet you keep it flowing. And Father, it is so so great. When we pause in our lives even long enough to consider what you've done, to think about how you have blessed, God, if we take a moment or two or three, we become overwhelmed realizing how truly blessed we are. Father, I pray that you'll take us to another level. That you'll mature us spiritually in such a way that we will be the bringers of blessing. God, I pray we'll have opportunity. In fact, I want to pray, Lord, specifically for each and every one of us here tonight that this week we will have opportunity to give blessing to a contentious person. And Father, I pray that because I ask that you'll take us to the other side of us, other side of it, and show us how absolutely wonderful and blessed it is to be priests who bring the blessing. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Be with us now. Go with us and bless us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.